Anyway, let's move on to an even like more animated topic for me, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another bonus edition of the DCL Duo podcast. And uh, we did a little poll in our Facebook group, the DCL Duo vlog and podcast Facebook group. If you're not in that group, you should feel free to head over if you're a listener and join that group. We'd love to have you, love to have your voice. But we took a little informal poll in our group around what folks want to hear from us on these bonus episodes. And at the top of the list was a little bit of Disney Cruise Line news and commentary. Now, I want to be super clear, super hard to follow all the Disney Cruise Line news and cruising news that's out there. And so we'll probably do this on occasion if we've got a couple of stories that we think are interesting. This will be pure commentary and speculation on our part. So we make no promises that we're going to get it right. And these are our opinions. Totally our opinions. And I will also say there are a lot of great folks out there who do track cruise news on a really frequent basis. Two that I wanted to highlight. One is Doug Parker, who I believe is at Cruise Radio is his handle. Doug has started putting out 60 second briefs every day on cruise industry news. And those are great little bite-sized ways to learn more about what's happening in the cruise industry. They're not Disney specific, but they are great for the cruise industry. And prior guest, Emma, who does Emma Cruises is also doing a similar exercise. She's putting out little 60-second news briefs on the cruise industry as well, and she tracks a lot of news across the industry. So we're going to try to keep these shows more Disney-focused, but if you're really interested in cruise news, I think both of those are great resources, and Doug does occasionally do a focus or an emphasis on on Disney because I know he's a fan of the cruise line as well. So with that, we're going to try to just tackle three stories. I'm going to try and set them up, and then we'll just kind of riff on them and give our opinions, and we'll go from there. First up, it's widely known that Disney has canceled all of their sailings through February of 2021 at this point. I don't know that I'm surprised by that, but Sam, what's your reaction? No big surprise that DCL has now delayed their plans on on resuming cruising until March of 2021. That seems to be fairly consistent with the other cruise lines that are members of CLIA, which is the Association of the Cruise Line Industry here. And there's also, its cruises are going to be limited, I think, to seven days or less. I still think it remains to be seen whether or not cruising will really resume in early March. Even if it does resume, there will be probably some test cruises that will start in March and not actually open cruising that will, you know, start in March. That would be my guess. But I would also not be surprised if cruising is pushed back by another couple of months until there, and we still, this is recording on December 6th. There is no vaccine yet approved in the United States. The first vaccine has been approved in the UK. The Pfizer vaccine, I believe, was approved for emergency use in the UK. And so, yeah, we we don't have a vaccine out. And even when it's out, it will take some time or multiple vaccines. It will take some time to get enough people vaccinated for us to really have any kind of herd immunity. So I'm thinking cruising may not really resume until there is a vaccine widely available. 
I tend to agree, but I come at it from a different place. I think the three biggest obstacles to return to cruising are one, frankly, the CDC, who has seems to have little interest in getting this industry back up and running. I, I don't know that I fault them or don't fault them. Mm-hmm. I do feel like they've singled out the cruising industry a bit unfairly. I think the cruising industry also got a lot of bad publicity when all of this started with ships with outbreaks on them, ships that couldn't port, people who couldn't get off ships to get home, crew members who, I think I saw an article even last week that suggested there are still crew members who may not have been fully repatriated mm-hmm. back to their home country. So like, I get it. At the same time, airlines are back and running. Airlines are starting to fill middle seats again, you know, and no one is holding their feet to the fire in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, in my sort of estimation, or at least not at the same level as the cruise industry. I recognize there's unique challenges with cruising. It's a floating hotel, the sort of self-contained bubble. At the same time, we're hearing, you know, MSC cruises return to cruising. I, I don't know if they had to hit pause again, sort of the global spike, but, you know, they had some fairly successful cruises over in Europe sort of maintaining that bubble. I, you know, know that some ships are sailing in Asia again, or at least there was one ship that started sailing again, not fully heard what happened with that sailing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's the right thing, but I do know we have to overcome here in the United States the CDC, and they don't seem very interested in returning cruises anytime mm-hmm. soon. I think the other two issues you have to face are one, who are the crew going to be aboard these ships? Mm-hmm. And how are they going to get here? Right. <laughs> and so, you know, how are they going to get them back aboard cruises? So I think that, frankly, even if the CDC said thumbs up, you can go cruise again if you can meet our requirements, I'm not sure how they're going to get crew back on board. I saw an interesting news article a couple of weeks ago about a crew member who was sort of, you know, look, I, I don't know if after everything that's happened, I want to go back and work on the cruise industry again. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that might not be a minority opinion among crew. I don't know. Right. And how to get them back linked with their ships even. Well, that's what I'm saying is how yeah. are you going to get them into the U.S.? to get on board these ships, to sail? Are they going to have to sail them to the Bahamas and fly them in there? Like That's the other thing, which leads to my third point, which is the cruise industry has to negotiate with multiple governments. At mm-hmm. a minimum, even if these cruises are just going to sail from whatever their US-based Florida port is to a private island, those private islands are leased to them by foreign governments. And, you know, Castaway Key, I think most people know, but you might forget, like the, they are staffed in part with Bahamian workers. There are Disney Cruise Line workers there, but, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the, I, I believe, the customs is, is staffed with Bahamians. I think the post office is run by a Bahamian. There are stores on the island. There are stores that are run on the island by Bahamians. And so the Bahamian government might say, you can't sail there because our people can't be safely on that island and exposed to your, your cruisers. So, mm-hmm. so they've got to negotiate the CDC, the crew members, and foreign governments in order to get back up and running. So I think all of that does bode. We're probably waiting until there's a vaccine. And what we're going to have to do is show and demonstrate to Disney Cruise Line that we've been vaccinated before we can get on the ship or that or that we have some underlying health condition that prevents us from being vaccinated, whatever it is, right? But I, I, I have a feeling they're going to start asking for, you know, have you been vaccinated and probably asking for some proof of that. That I just have a feeling that's the direction we're headed. So, mm-hmm. well, and let's let's talk about the other part, which is where the ships are right now. So this is an, some interest, interesting facts. The Disney Fantasy and the Disney Wonder are both in Port Canaveral, as we're talking today. Here well, or, or making or, or anchored off offshore or making runs to Kasawiki, but they are back. Well, but basically, the, right? Yeah, right. I'm just saying, right this minute, there. You know, the map is showing them it uh, both the Fantasy and the Wonder anchored off of Port Canaveral, and the Disney Dream is in the middle of 
of the Atlantic Ocean, presumably heading to Florida or the Bahamas from the dry dock that they were at in Brest, France. And the Disney Magic is still at port in, and I think that also probably just finished dry dock. The Magic is in port at Dover, which is, it's it's one of the main ports that the Magic sails out of when it does European cruises, the UK cruise, the um, when it, uh, even the cruise to Norway, some of those start sort of out of Dover. So it'd be interesting to see whether or not, I think what will give us a lot of information over the next couple of months, if we see the Disney magic heading across the Atlantic Ocean, if it does not head across the Atlantic Ocean, then maybe that means it's going to you know start the European season. Since we know they can't sail more than seven days with passengers, that means no transatlantic cruises for any cruise line. So I, I'm curious well, to see. Let me, let me just correct that for one second. They can't sail for more than seven days under the CDC's order, which means this. Right. Which means they can't come to the U.S. port. No, they can't. They Yeah. They, right. Any cruises departing from or arriving at a U.S. port can't right. be longer than seven right. days. Well, and what I mean by that is they can't they can't do a transatlantic before the European season that starts in Florida, for example, and ends at Dover. So my thought is if the European season, I think, starts in spring, I don't know, April, May, something around there is what my me- if my memory is right. If we don't see if we see the magic sort of staying in Europe over the next month, I'm guessing she's not coming across to Florida and she's just going to stay in Europe. And so it, that means if they start cruises before April or May, it's probably just going to be the three other ships, the dream, the wonder, the fantasy, maybe out of Florida. But who knows? Again, like you said, really, we'd need the Bahamian government government to okay it and the U.S. government in order for cruising to actually resume. And and again, that would still be quite limited compared to what the normal offerings are. Right. I mean, I think the other thing to pay attention to is, so we've got the dream, the fantasy, and the wonder all basically hovering around Port Canaveral. The wonder would at some point make its way through the Panama Canal and to San Diego to do Mexican Riviera cruises and then head up to, I think there's Hawaii sailings uh, on the books and then then the Alaska cruise season, which starts, you know, around April. So end of May, I think for... Sorry, end of May. The Baja cruises are in April. They do the Hawaii sailings to transition up to Alaska for May start of season. I think it'll be really interesting to see if we see the wonder head through the canal or not, because that's a 14 day sailing that Obviously, they can't do. Mm-hmm. Well, they can't do it with passengers. Yeah. Can't, well, that's what I'm saying. They right. can't do it with passengers. And so that's a that's a lost sailing. It costs a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and I just don't know how many ships they need in Florida to do Bahamian and Caribbean cruises at this point. You know, yeah. at some point, I th- you know, the, the wonder would be in New Orleans in February. That's obviously not happening. You know, on the way back, I think there's there's Galveston stops. So it's just uh, paying attention to where the cruise ships are, I think, tells us a lot about Disney's confidence level in terms of what kinds of cruises are going to be available. So if you're not seeing the magic making her way over to Port Canaveral in New York or wherever, then, you know, that transatlantic sailing you booked probably is unlikely to happen for several reasons, not the least of which is the CDC order, but the ship's not going to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And so if she's sitting in Dover, at least it demonstrates some confidence that Disney has that maybe the European cruise season is going to happen, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Otherwise, they'd probably pull her over to Port Canaveral and park her there for a while. 
So interesting to watch the movements of the ships just to sort of, I think, gauge Disney's confidence in what's going on. So I, I think if you don't see the wonder heading through the Panama Canal here, you know, in a couple of months, you know, that says a lot about what they think about their West Coast cruise season for, for, this, for the year. So, and that, I think that would devastate, by the way, Alaska, who will have now missed two cruise seasons. Some of those towns, I think, are totally dependent upon the tourist revenue. So, oh, yeah, I think if this if this Alaska season doesn't happen, it's it's going to be really hard on those folks up in Alaska. So I, I just want to be really clear here too, that like Sam and I aren't probably not going to get on a cruise ship until there's a vaccine and we've been vaccinated. And I know there's a lot of pent up demand out there, but like that's what's going to f- make us feel safe. And I, I, well, there's been some successful cruising. I'm also, there's the the new story from like a month ago now about the Sea Dream. It was a small cruise ship. They actually classify themselves as a yacht. I think it only holds like 50-ish passengers on board. And as such, they didn't have to comply with kind of the CLIA industry agreed upon standards for cruising. So they weren't having their passengers wear masks. And that really concerns me. And it concern me essentially because I'm concerned about the crew. And so when I think about us sailing again, I think the Sea Dream folks really put their crew at risk in a way that is really just not okay with me. I mm-hmm. think I even said on Twitter a couple of times, like to me, that borderlines on the criminal to, to have your crew on board with a bunch of people who aren't wearing masks. Mm-hmm. I get they probably did a bunch of pre-cruise testing and all that stuff. But these days, But these days that testing and temperature checks, it's useless. We, we know as yeah, a scientific know fact, it's useless. It's useless. And so if you're going to have people together, 53 people together on board a cruise ship, make them wear masks. And if you don't want to wear a mask, then don't go cruising, right? Like, let's right. protect each other at this point and let's not well, endanger I, the crew members. So, yeah. And so anyway, and just there, to, there is a lot of great, well, hold on, just one second. There is a lot of great news reporting out there from a Twitter account called Cruise with Ben and David on that episode. They were on board the ship. They have their own thoughts about it. And I want to say, like, I, I'm not scolding anyone who was on board. It's more for me, the Sea Dream Yachts making that decision, I think one was irresponsible to their crew. And two, it ends up with a COVID outbreak, which then gets splashed all over the newspaper and mm-hmm. impacts the entire industry yet again. Right. Yeah. So and so just to be clear, Brian and I are both big proponents of testing. It's not we're not saying that testing is useless. We're saying that testing can be useless because a lot of people who are infected with the virus, if you test too early and you don't test again, you know, later, they, you know, they may have already been exposed, but they won't, they will test negative on, you know, a particular day and might test positive the very next day because there's just not enough antibodies in their system yet to test positive. So that's what Brian's talking about, asymptomatic folks. Yeah, I think testing is not a cure-all to being able to return to some level of normalcy. Like exactly. It's not an excuse not to wear a mask, right? right? That that's that's my problem with it. So anyway, let's move on to an even like more animated topic for me, quite frankly, <laughs> which is <laughs> this week I saw on Twitter in several different places. And actually I searched Disney Cruise Line on Twitter the other day just to see kind of what the posts were outside of my own following and followers. And what popped up in my newsfeed, among other interesting things, was a lot of posts from people around a petition to get Disney to essentially either like stop development at Lighthouse Point or make new commitments around it or to get the Bahamian government to block the development of Lighthouse Point, which sits on the or will sit on the island of Eleuthera in the Bahamas. I'm sure that development is, you know, either significantly paused or delayed of that project, given everything going on at Disney Cruise Line. Mm -hmm. 
And the designer, the guy who was supposed to design it, just announced his retirement from uh, Disney. Joe Rode. Yeah, Joe, Joe, Ro- Joe Rode or Joe Rode. I, I think it's Rode. Yeah, I think yeah, it's Rode. He's the guy who designed Animal Kingdom. He designed. I think he did the oh. Wilderness Lodge and the Grand Californian. Yeah, I think. and he did Aulani. He designed Aulani as well. So he's a long time. I mean, been with the company, I think like 30 years or something, you know. Yeah, he's an amazing Imagineer in terms of what he's done for Disney. And so, yeah, I, but, but this petition really stuck out to me because it was, you know, all about the environmental impact that Disney was going to have on the island. And I just want to say a couple of quick things and then let Sam offer her thoughts. But one, it really is, I think something like 400,000 people had signed this petition. So let's be really clear. I don't think it's a bunch of Bahamians coming together and saying, please stop this. I'm sure that there are some. But what this is clearly highlighting is sort of it's the opportunity for everyone globally to come in and, you know, rail against the cruise industry yet one more time. I just don't think the environmental impact that cruises are having, I want to be very clear, it's not great. Like, let's just like, it's not great, but neither is me driving my car. Neither are the airlines like fuel efficiencies. Like there are lots of things contributing to the environmental crisis that we face Mm -hmm. as a society. I don't think getting Disney Cruise Line to stop development at Eleuthera is going to solve the environmental problem. And I I frankly think there was an open discussion about this in the Mm -hmm. Bahamas. There were hearings about it. Disney's made commitments. Disney's demonstrated a willingness to design and build these things in a way that is, you know, least impactful to the surroundings in a way that, frankly, I don't think Carnival or Royal Caribbean Mm -hmm. (laughs) necessarily honor when they're throwing up roller coasters and water slides on private islands, right? Yeah. Disney's private island at Castaway Key is so low key mm-hmm. as compared to some of these other private islands. And I have a feeling that the Lighthouse Point development would have followed a similar path or will. I don't think there's any reason to doubt that it will proceed forward, will follow a similar path. And so yeah. it just really bothers me that yet again, the cruise industry is getting singled, singled out. And one reason it really bothers me is, let's be really clear, airlines have a business imperative to become environmentally more efficient. Because every gallon of gas they save on a long haul flight puts money back in their shareholders' pockets. Mm -hmm. And so Boeing is designing more fuel efficient planes. Airlines are researching alternative methods of fueling these planes. They are constantly looking at ways to save money. Just the way that UPS did, this is a, you know, the kind of legend now. UPS did this by industrial engineering that eliminated left-hand turns for their trucks because the idling waiting in the left-hand turn lane was burning gas and they saved themselves millions of dollars in gasoline by eliminating those left-hand turns. Mm-hmm. Same thing, frankly, I work for a tech company and the tech companies are looking at ways to make their data centers environmentally neutral because they spend a lot of money on energy. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... They're all announcing these initiatives. And so Disney Cruise Line and the cruise industry in general has incentive to do this. And Disney's already doing it. Like Disney's already got a great environmental record, or at least I don't want to say great. I think they're graded at a C while everyone else is at like a D or an F, mm-hmm. right? But they're already looking at like, how can we do this better? Exhibit one, the Disney wish is going to be liquid natural gas, right? And so, so like, I just, it really bothers me and frustrates me when environmentalists single out, single out the cruise industry for this kind of stuff, because I look at that and say, okay, but yeah, but then we all need to stop driving cars. We all need, like, there's so much contributing to this problem that the cruise industry is like just the minor impact of it. Now I am supportive of thinking through ways that, you know, cruises don't destroy reefs and things like that. Right. 
But so, so that that's that's exactly where I want to jump in on this, Brian. So first, I want to say I was looking at the information on the web about Lighthouse Point, and I'm going to be fair and say that the website that I'm looking at is LighthousePointBahamas.com, which I believe is a is a Disney owned website. So the information you're getting there is from Disney Cruise Line. But they talk about a bunch of the things that they've done to mitigate the environmental impacts. They did a two year environmental impact assessment, of course that had to include experts and you know environmentalists and data collection and engagement with people who have studied the site and species observance and you know animal specialists all that kind of stuff so they have done that impact study apparently disney purchased that land from a private owner it wasn't actually owned by, well they had to of course have agreements with the bahamian government but the the land that they've purchased was actually owned by a private owner and the Previous development proposals for that site have been much more dense than what Disney is proposing. So those site that site development previously had plans for hundreds of homes, condos, villas, a hotel, a 140 slip marina. So a bunch of stuff that would have had a mo- much more significant environmental impact than what Disney is planning on building there. So that's to say, you know, one of the things about what Disney's doing. Another thing is thinking about the Disney Conservation Fund. Now, Disney Conservation Fund is you know, their sort of nonprofit organization that has worked a- across the world. On one thing they've worked on is rehabilitating coral reefs in the Bahamas. And they've been doing that for 10, 15 years at this point. And so there's a lot of stuff that they are doing that the Conservation Fund specifically is doing to for, for environmental reasons in the Bahamas in general and in other parts of the world. They're obviously very involved in Animal Kingdom and the conference conservation efforts done there with regard to the animals and the plant species that were brought to create that park. So I'm I'm with you, Brian. I, I feel like the if anyone's going to develop the south end of Eleutheria, which we call Lighthouse Point because that's what Disney's calling it, or Eleuthera, sorry, Eleuthera, it's, you know, Disney's going to do a better job than probably most other private corporations and is going to be more sensitive to the environmental issues than a lot of other companies would be. And so, you know, Disney shouldn't get ragged on for trying to do something the right way. Now, if it was going to be undeveloped for from here to eternity, would that be better for the environment? Yes. But is that a realistic to think that this beautiful piece of land in the Bahamas is going to remain undeveloped forever? No. So, you know, if somebody's going to develop it anyway, it's better to have Disney do it for this purpose than for somebody to build huge condos, hotels, or other industrial uses on it. Well, I guess that hits home for me on two points. One is we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that the Bahamas are going to find ways to develop their land because they make their money off the tourist industry. They're not exporting gold, right? Exactly. (laughs) Tourism is their lifeblood. And so they're going to want to find ways to bring more people to the Bahamas. Don't develop Lighthouse Point. They're still going to develop it in some way. They're going to find a way to develop it. And if they don't, if like we just want to block all development in the Bahamas, that's what we want to do. Then what's the downstream impact of that for the people who live in the Bahamas? Mm -hmm. whose Lifeblood is built on the tourism industry. So, uh, you know, that that for me is really kind of what it comes down to. That and the fact that, again, Disney, all of these corporate 
entities that are making sort of these like feel good announcements about their environmental impact, you know, like how they're going to become carbon neutral or carbon negative or whatever it is. Yeah, it's a great PR moment for them. And I, I think that like the people making those decisions altruistically do believe that it's the right thing to do and they want to steer those companies in that direction. But let's be super clear as an organization, they just have that business imperative to their shareholders to maximize profits. And if they can reduce energy footprint, they are doing exactly that. And frankly, then the feel-good announcement helps bring more confidence back to the company. People feel better about working with that company. In the same way, I think there are people out there who cruise Disney because it has a good environmental record or a better environmental record in the industry than most others. So I, I just think that this is, this is really, you can probably tell, oh, I was so annoyed by <laughs> <laughs> as between the CDC petitions and comments that that I've seen and that Scott Sanders like just dutifully kind of transcribed out or, or or tracked out on his blog and this, it's like how much more beating does this industry need to to take? And it's not like we're all going to stop vacationing. And it's not like if I get on a cruise ship, I, there's a trade off of me not flying to Hawaii to stay at a like the environmental impact of the travel and tourism industry, you know, collectively is probably not insignificant. But I don't think the answer is we stop traveling. I think mm-hmm. the answer is that we push the industry to think about these issues and find ways to minimize their impact, which they're already doing. So mm-hmm. anyway, anyway. Well, Sam, any final thoughts on any of these news stories or anything else you want to add before we wrap up? You know, one thing I'm I'm interested in and in talking and I, I'm kind of putting this call out to our listeners. If you are someone in who lives in California and you have been to the reopened, I should say partial reopening of uh, any of the parks at Disneyland. So California, well, it's actually, I guess it's just downtown Disney at Disneyland and Buena Vista Street at California Adventure. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on and, and talking to you about what's open there, which is, I understand it's just restaurants and shops, but interested to hearing what your experience is. And I also am interested in finding out if there's been some additional closures or reduced capacity from the from Governor Newsom, the governor of California, from his stay-at-home order. So anyway, just putting it out there, if, there, if you're a listener and you live in California and you have gone to partially reopened California Adventure or uh, Disney or downtown Disney, interested in talking to you. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks, everybody, for listening as always. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's bonus episode. If you've got ideas for topics for our bonus episodes you want us to cover, they're usually just Sam and I talking about our own thoughts. We like to reserve them for the two of us since we want to use the main episodes to really highlight our guests. So if you've got topics you want to hear Sam and I talk about, send them our way. Uh, Email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. So with that, thanks as always for listening this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL duo each week. Please also leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are really helpful in making our content visible to people who might be looking for podcasts like ours. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also join the DCL Duo vlog and podcast group on Facebook, or you can head over to the DCL Duo channel on YouTube for even more great content. The DCL Duo podcast and vlog are not affiliated 
affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Walt Disney Company, or the Walt Disney Family of Theme Parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of the Walt Disney Company or Disney Cruise Line. If you have a question about a Disney cruise or a Walt Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL duo. Good night. Good night.